So this is an opportunity, as I said, especially if you're new to us, uh, if you visited here this morning uh, before, and of course we usually have at the nine o'clock hour, as Shane said, an, an equipping hour set of studies, and then we have our normal 1030 worship hour that goes to about 1215 uh, on the Lord's Day, and then we'll have a six o'clock service. So we're all going to do the same hours, but we're doing different things in those hours, And this morning, for the first time in my ministry history, which spans about 35 years, uh, I entered Christian vocational ministry on February 10th of 1986. And um, so that's over 35 years now. And of course, none of these people were here. They weren't in existence. But um, Beth and I uh, had... Married on October of 1986, and she and I looked at each other both prior to marriage and then, of course, in marriage and said, let's think up all the reasons why we shouldn't have children, number one, a lot of them, and number two, as soon as we can. So let's think up all those reasons. And there was stunned silence between the two of us because we just couldn't come up with any reason whatsoever not to have a lot of them, and not to start having them as soon as we could. And a month and a half after we were married, Beth conceived Lacey, who is right there. Lacey is our oldest, and Lacey lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is sort of like her home because that's where uh, she grew up. She uh, She had just turned nine years of age when we left Grace Community Church after 10 years of ministry there, where I became the pastor of the Bible Church of Little Rock in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, Lacey, as the firstborn, uh, in the uh, sort of pastoral search committee time, where some of the men from Little Rock actually flew out, heard me preach at Grace Church, and then they came over to my house to ask a lot of questions, as search committees do. And Lacey came into the room at the age of eight and had her list of questions for them. (laughs) That is true. That is absolutely true. And so she, we arrived in August of 1996 to be the pastor of that church. And uh, Lacey turned um, nine in September the following month. And uh, so she was gracious enough to come back out. She was actually out here last week. And when uh, I learned that my son Logan and his wife Bella were going to surprise us by coming out, I think there was a birthday or something that they were talking about, somebody's birthday. And so when we found out that they were coming, I hatched this plan and they were all decidedly against it, basically. And so I chatted with them and we had some texting going back and forth. We have a text thread called The Real Quinn Fam. And so um, we had a lot of dialogue, and uh, they have all graciously agreed to uh, be a part of this. So for the first time in 35 years, I thought, why don't we just have a little Q&A and talk about parenting and child rearing? And of course, we don't want to bore you with ideas of only talking about what it's like to be a child in a pastor's home, but I'm sure that's going to come up. But the opportunity for you to ask questions are available. You see the mics there. And uh, without further delay, I want to just introduce the rest of them, and then start with some questions. Maybe I'll uh, prime the pump a little bit with a few questions of my own, and I have a lot of them. (laughs) For this crew, I have a lot of questions. All right, so this is Lacey, our daughter. Lacey is unmarried, and then this is my oldest son, 
Lance, who we call in the family Lancer, but because he's getting older now, he's just known as Lance. And um, he worked at a business that was more local here. And uh, so his little nameplate and his office and all of that was Lance Quinn. And there were other believers who worked at that place and they would walk by and see this name Lance Quinn and say, are you like a pastor or do you work here? And he would say, no, that's my dad. So he's not a junior, but uh, he's our firstborn son. And that's Lance. And uh, he is married to Jessica. And um, they found out as they started getting to know each other that they were born at Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital in Santa Clarita, only a couple of weeks apart. And so um, grateful to have them. They live in Stevenson Ranch, which is a part, of course, of Santa Clarita, and they attend Grace Community Church. And uh, Jessica has a little guy right there named Wesley Theodore. And then this is my son, Logan, and his wife, Bella. And uh, they were married in August of 2019, up on a beautiful hill there in, on, in Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa Road. And uh, that was the last wedding that my dear wife Beth was able to attend. And so that's going to be special in our hearts forever. And uh, Logan is the assistant head basketball coach at Southern Arkansas University in Magnolia, Arkansas. Not necessarily by design. He was just looking to find a, a coaching position. And uh, that came up. And so he interviewed and was hired, even though that's his home state of Arkansas. And um, I've been down there a number of times watching his teams, and their mascot is the Southern Arkansas University Mule Riders. No jokes, please. No jokes. And then, of course, this is my daughter, Lindsay. And Lindsay, of course, most of you know, if I can sort of maybe get out of the way, uh, Lindsay, of course, is up front a lot, leading, helping us in singing, and her husband, Devin. And Devin, of course, you'll often see behind the soundboard there, and of course, most of you know them quite well. If I took all the time to explain, you know, how many kids and all the names, we, that would be the Q&A. So, uh, and Devin is originally from Temecula, uh, Murrieta, California area, and so they, um, they met when Logan and Devin were on the same basketball team in college basketball at the Masters College. So Logan said, I've got a gal I would love to introduce you to. She happens to be my sister. So, and then we have Shane and Lauren. Lauren and uh, Lindsay sort of grew up together, same room, you know, a long, long time. So they're pretty acquainted with each other and uh, obviously in birth order right next to each other. And um, Shane was a student of mine when I was on the pastoral staff at Grace Community Church back in uh, 2011, 12, 13, and 14. And I was an adjunct professor at the Master's Seminary, and I was teaching a course. And my friend Jerry Ragg from Jupiter, Florida, called me and said, there's a young man who's going to be coming to the seminary, and I want you to put him in your back pocket, disciple him, nurture him. He's a good, good young man, and I want you to meet him. And so I did meet Shane. He was in one of my classes. And ethically speaking, I waited until the very end of the class to say, you know, I have a daughter. <laughs> and uh, they are now married. And so you know them all quite well. And then we have Lucas and Samantha, who we call Sam. And uh, most of you know them as well because they're here. Five of our eight are, are here in our own local church, so you all know them. Uh, Lucas is a speed and agility trainer. 
and has his own business in Westlake and also trains uh, teams like the Cal Lutheran football team and others. They're at Cal Lu and they live in Simi and they've got two little kids and they met at Cal Lu and Samantha's parents live in Simi. So, all right, and then I'll move over here because you have Parker and Lexa. And of course you all know them quite well because they're here in our church and uh, they were married when? December 9th of 2017, because one week prior to that was Beth's diagnosis of cancer, uh, to, the, to the very week. So that'll be indelible in our hearts. All right, so you guys know them. And then, of course, our baby. <laughs> this is Lisa, and you all know Lisa very, very well. And Lisa, what do you do right now that brings joy to your heart in the service of the community of Thousand Oaks? I work full-time at Chick-fil-A. Um. Now, you know, that got more applause than anything else. I've worked there for six years now. I started there when I was 16 years old, my first job, and then have just been blessed to be able to move up in leadership there, and um, I'm the drive through director um, at our location, so it's great. Excellent. Okay, let's get into our Q&A, shall we? I'll prime the pump a little bit. What's it like living in a pastor's home and living in the proverbial fishbowl as a pastor's kid? And I've not assigned questions to anyone particularly. What was good about it? What was challenging about it? I guess I'll go first. Okay, this is Logan. Um, it was It was definitely challenging growing up because I think at least in our at least in Little Rock, Arkansas, I think everybody kind of knew who you were, so it was challenging, but it was good from a, an accountability standpoint. If you're out you know going out to eat or you're out with your friends or you know everybody kind of knew who you were, so it was again, from an accountability standpoint, you had to make sure that you were all doing the right thing, which sometimes we didn't like it, and sometimes we did I think. When we were younger, we, we really didn't like it because we couldn't just go out and kind of blend in with everybody. But also, I think as, at least for me, as I got older, I started to really figure out who I was, especially around, around town and um, hanging out with my friends. I had to really, really be careful of what I did just because of who my family was and who my dad was. So I think it was challenging, but it was also a really good thing, at least for me personally. Anybody else? Hi, everyone. I'm Lancer. Yeah, I think I would agree with Logan. I would say that, you know, I think whether consciously or subconsciously, people may have the perception that when you're born into a pastor's family that you come out of the womb believing, uh, and that's not true, for sure. We had our struggles. We had our challenges. You're up there every Sunday sitting on the front row, uh, you know, and everyone knows who you are and is watching you. So, you know, when you're going into your teen years, you know, you can have your struggles. For me, it was sit up, pay attention, uh, you know, pull your pants up during that time. Um, you know, <laughs> no talking, no passing notes. Um, you know, you know, when you're seen around, you're seen around town, you know, people know who you are, you know, dissecting everything that you do, everything that you say. And that can be hard, especially for a, a young child or, or a teen. But I would agree with Logan, you know, looking back, it's a small price to pay. 
and it's when you look back and you are more mature and you look back at the things that you are concerned about, you know, as a teenager, everything is magnified, right? You break up with your girlfriend and the whole world is coming crashing down or you hear someone talking about you and you think it's the end of the world. But looking back, you know, it's you just shake your head at, at how immature you were and the things that really mattered as far as walking with the Lord and being obedient to the Lord and obeying your parents and, you know, being a good example. I shudder to think uh, if I was not a pastor's kid and had not had that accountability where I would be. And so I think looking back, I was definitely appreciative of that, um, even though definitely bucked under it at times. So I'll tell you, one of the things that is a great blessing in my life, maybe potentially near the top, if not at the top, of the greatest joys of my life is that these kids, kids, you know what I mean, they're, they're adults now, but they profess to know Christ. And, and what Lancer was just enumerating for us is the pressure, the pressure of that, because it's magnified a hundredfold, a thousandfold in terms of, of the expectation of a pastor's kid, a pastor's child, as they grow up and as they try to take the faith that they've been handed by way of preaching and teaching and modeling and example and to make it their own faith to not only believe in Christ, but to believe in Christ savingly and to see your life as a desire of yours to live for Christ. And so all of them have had tremendous crises. So when you're seeing them up here and they're in their 20s and 30s, it's not as though we didn't have rough spots. So we got down and dirty in all kinds of issues and all kinds of challenges and all kinds of confrontations, loving but confrontations nonetheless. And so we're not lily white by any stretch. And I alluded to that in last week's message, uh, but I want to reemphasize that. We're not sitting up here as though we've got all the answers. We've actually been vexed with all of the questions and assume that to some degree we've answered such questions, but we're all still in process. Yeah, and I think that's part of it, you know, especially as you, it's one thing to be on the front row and be, you know, three or four years old and be acting out, but as you get older and as you sin and as you struggle with your sin, I think that's probably the hardest part because, you know, you're on display and when you sin, everyone sees it or a lot of people see it. And so that can be hard, but, you know, it's definitely not, you know, anything close to real persecution or you're not eating rice and beans, you know, in a third world country for sure. But, you know, it can be difficult just to have your sin on display and that can be hard and sometimes you buck against that. But I think whether you are a pastor's kid or not, well, the one advantage to being a pastor's kid is definitely being around the word, being around the church being under the preaching of God's word. And I think whether you're a pastor's kid or not, even if it may not immediately reap fruits, it's good to be part of a local church and to be sitting under the word of God because even if it may not take root or take hold and show fruit immediately, definitely looking back, you can see how the foundation was laid. And when you are out of the church and you're out of your, your parents' home and under out from under their authority and you have to figure out life on your own and you have to 
come to a decision, um, you know, when you stumble and fall, whether you're going to, you know, have a faith of your own. You can definitely look back and see how the foundation was laid. And, you know, you remember all of those those struggles and those times, um, you know, and the gospel hopefully will come to your mind. So, mm. Excellent. We'll, we'll ask a question in a minute, but I'll, I'll follow that up with, we were also, not just because of the, the boys, but also our, our girls, so many of them were involved in, in sports, loved sports, uh, sports of all kind. So being a sports family as we were, what were some of the challenges and what were some of the, the, the fruit-bearing nature of being a sports family? Any gal or guy can respond. I missed a whole lot of championship games on Sunday morning. That's for sure. That's for sure. This is true. Yeah, I was just going to say, similar Logan, uh, you know, mom and dad were, were very into sports right along with us, coming to every game and supporting us. But when it came to church on Sundays, we were always there, and they emphasized the importance of us being in church. And if we had a game during Sunday morning, you know, church was a priority. And I think that was huge in just teaching us that sports are great, activities are great, but church is the most important. And I think, you know, a lot of our other friends, they'd be like, why can't you come? You know, we've got a big game. It's, it's 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. But we said, you know, we had to say that, you know, church is more important and this is the Lord's day. And I think that was huge just to teach us that, you know, nothing else is, is that important that we should miss the expositing of the word and being with God's people on Sunday. So, Yeah, I think there was a rule and there was a conversation before the season would start between us and you and the coaches that would say, we want to be a part of the team. We want to be on the team. We want to participate. But just understand that if there's a tournament that starts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we will be there Friday. We'll be there all day Saturday. But Sunday morning, we go to church. That's what we do. And, you know, we'll come as soon as church is over, you know, 12, 12.30, whenever we get done, we will come over. And sometimes we'd show up in the middle of the game, go sit on the bench, go get in the game. But, you know, the, the, it was definitely a testimony um, to us to, to, as to the importance of, of going to church on Sunday mornings. And to those around us, friends, coaches, parents, it was always understood that even if our team was playing, we had to go to church, and then we would go right over there afterwards. So it's kind of a, you know, at first you're like, oh, well, I really want to be playing, Dad. But it was good that, that we had an emphasis on going to church. Dad would say amen, and we would grab our gym bag and head out. (laughs) This is true. This is true. All right. Any questions from anybody? Yeah, grab a mic, and you guys just go and grab a mic and ask away. Tell us a little bit about the size of the mansion. (laughs) How you handled bathrooms getting ready for school in the morning, because... You know, you get up and everybody's got to go off to school. And when you come home, and food. How did you guys handle meals of a family of 10? Well, it's obvious that we're all so emaciated. (laughs) So food was in uh, short supply. Guys, why don't you start to answer that question about what would happen at 6 a.m. every morning of your life? Logan? Yeah, Logan. I'm not sure I was sleeping the whole time. <laughs> uh, no, it, for a long time, for a long, long time, at, at 6 o'clock in the morning before school, we would get up and have our family worship time. So it was a lot of times <laughs> mom and dad would have to get, come into the room and wake us up three or four different times to get us downstairs. She but, would have to get you up, Logan. Yeah. 
we, we would go through passages of the, of the Bible and everybody would go through, kind of like we're sitting right now just in the living room. Everybody would have their Bible and everybody would read five verses each. And then I think, I think my mom would um, get on the piano and yep. we would at first sing a song. So at 6 a.m. it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I look back on those times and think about some of the things that, that I personally learned during those times. So it's, it started at 6 a.m. most mornings. And then, you know, I think we would all get ready. I don't know. I think me, me and Lancer and Lucas always shared a bathroom. So it would always be who can get in the shower first to get ready first. But it was always, I don't know if we had a ton of, at least the boys didn't, had a ton of conflict. we just jump in the shower and get Bo- out. Boys really don't have conflicts about <laughs> bathrooms. <Yeah. laughs> it's usually the girls who need to get ready. And then I think we would, we would grab our lunches and go to school. But my mom would put in those brown paper bags LQ1, LQ2, LQ3. <laughs> so you just grab yours and then head off to school. But that's kind of what we did, meals at night. I mean, as when we were young, we always used to sit at the table at, at night when we didn't have things going on when we were young and have dinner together. But I think as we got a lot older, people were doing a lot of different things after school and in sports and stuff like that. So as we kind of got older and people started driving, my mom would say, just pick up something on your way home. Um, (laughs) So it kind of morphed from we were really, really kind of sitting down having dinner. You know, as we got older, everybody kind of started doing their own thing because, you know, my mom would be at four or five different sporting events throughout the week at night. But growing up, we would be at at church on Wednesday night, and again, we tried to try to make it a priority, but I think as far as the house question, our house I'll in speak Little I'll speak for the girl part. Yeah, go um, ahead, Lisa. So, Lacey's obviously the oldest, so she always had her own room, which I was always a little bit jealous about, <laughs> but Lindsay and Lauren always shared a room, and then Lexa and I always shared a room, and so um, I just remember Lexa and I growing up before we were saved. Um, we, we had just a lot of just like cat fights, um, in our room. And I remember we shared a bed together for a long time. And I look back on those times and I'm just so thankful for those times because it really did grow Lexa and I, um, so much closer together. And, um, I remember we would often go in Lindsay and Lauren's room and make dance videos and just do random stuff. Um, but (laughs) Yeah, I, in our house in Little Rock, um, in Arkansas, there's just a lot of bugs. And one time, my mom came into Lauren's room, Lauren and Lindsay's room, and um, I guess there was a cockroach on Lauren, and it was crawling on her face. <laughs> and so my mom, um, I guess my mom, because she knew that if she were to freak out, Lauren would freak out, and so my mom grabbed it, chucked it on the wall, and was like, good morning, Lauren! <laughs> So, of course, she told us probably, like, way later. But, yeah, that was not fun. She told me about that recently. <laughs> she said, if I ever told you about that, I knew you'd never sleep in that room again. And I said, you were right. <laughs> but it was, it was definitely challenging growing up with four other sisters. But Lacey was a little bit older than the rest of us, so she moved out a little bit quicker. And then it just became us four girls, you know, us two sharing a room and Lexa and Lisa sharing a room. But... I don't remember a ton of conflict. Maybe that's the Lord's grace. Um, uh, just kind of allowing you to forget. 
Thank God for a faulty memory. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it, it kind of seemed to devolve into pairs, right? I mean, growing up, before we left California, we were in, I don't know how many we had stuffed into a, what, a one or a two bedroom yeah, we had condo? Yeah, we had about a 900 uh, square foot condo in Santa Clarita. We had uh, a master bedroom and then the other bedroom. And at one point, right before we left, we had five in that bedroom. We joked and said, uh, when we ran out of beds, we just uh, Velcroed them to the ceiling. <laughs> there was a large walk-in closet that probably could have been considered another bedroom. Yes. But at one time, uh, as boys do, their Logan, I believe, injured himself uh, jumping off the couch in that condo and uh, hit his head on the ottoman and, uh, I think, knocked himself unconscious. So my mom called 911, and the paramedics arrived, and they tended to Logan. He was, ended up being fine. Uh, maybe that explains what's uh, what's going on today. But um, then the paramedics, you know, everybody was fine. They said, uh, "Yes, ma'am, could we see your daycare license?" She said, uh, "These are all my kids." <laughs> yes, it but, seemed like there were a lot of people in one room. But then when we moved to Arkansas, I don't remember how big that house was, but obviously. Well, here's here's what's interesting. Bigger. That was a four that was a four bedroom uh, house. It was very wonderful, but the kids kept coming. I don't know how that happens, but they just kept coming. <laughs> And we put an addition on top of the garage, which of course was just a garage, but it was attached to the house. You know how you can see some of those southern homes that have the attached garage. And so we decided to actually remodel and put three more small bedrooms on top of the garage. And so it came out to be seven bedrooms. Yeah. So. I think any household things were, could just be attributed to my mom. I think we survived in spite of ourselves. <laughs> and, you know, obviously dad was working really hard and providing, but, you know, my mom was able to somehow miraculously feed and clothe all of us and get all of us to where we needed to be. And she was just always incredibly organized and um, energetic. And I think she as she got older, looked back so fondly at all those times, but I think she definitely had moments of feeling really overwhelmed <laughs> and um, feeling like she could probably give up. And uh, she, um, she never did, and she just always trusted the Lord that, um, you know, as rebellious and annoying as we could all be at times, um, she just kept persevering and kept, you know, wanting to teach us and just lead by example of always being incredibly patient with us. And um, she was just always very, very fun. And uh, I think that, you know, kind of trickled down to all of us. Um, yeah, she, she made our life really, really fun. Yeah. All right, question over here. Yeah, so my, my question actually was the same as the original was, so, you know, my mind was going like, oh, I got to come up with a new one. Um, <laughs> so my question would be for, for those of you uh, that are men in the Quinn family, what is it that you have learned from your father or your brothers, whoever, um, that you want to carry over into your own, like, like things that are really memorable about leadership, about being a man, and then uh, that you want to, you know, uh, bring to your own children, your own family. And then for the women, uh, for the girls, um, is there anything that you look forward to that you were taught by your parents, by your mom, that was like, this is something to look forward to in a man. This is what a man should do. This is what a guy should do. 
great questions. I can start. I think something growing up that I have been actually thinking about a lot, something that I was really looking for in a spouse was somebody who was really going to be my partner. And I really saw that with my parents. They were always, they, uh, of course, they had, you know, little arguments, what ties your dad wear to church, stuff like that. But there was never, uh, we never heard fighting. There was never loud voices or loud arguing. They were always very united and had a united front, at least in front of us. And I think that was just so impactful as we grew up, just to see that kind of relationship modeled for us was was huge and something that I think we all wanted. You know, we didn't come from a house of fighting and we knew friends, you know, or we were over at friends' houses and we, we saw a different relationship modeled. And I think that was huge for us, seeing the relationship that mom and dad had and the way that they loved each other and the way that they were united as they, you know, as it came to discipline or as it came to just different biblical parenting, they were so united. And I think, you know, that's something that I really wanted and was looking for, you know, something where I could have a partner who, you know, we could be on the same page and we weren't going to be fighting in front of the kids and we weren't going to be doing those things so that we could have that united front that you, because kids just need that. They need that steadiness. They need that that united front. And, you know, we're not going to be going to mom and she's going to be saying one thing. We're going to go to dad and he's going to be saying one thing but we're gonna be able to really rely on them as a unit, and I think that was huge growing up, seeing that. Okay, what about the guy part? Lucas, anybody? Well, I think I was actually gonna say the exact same thing. From a leadership perspective, something I, that I saw my dad do that, that I really, really want to do is you know, the way that my dad loved my mom, the way that he was firm, but also the way, the way that he was loving towards her. That's something that I always thought about, I always saw, and that's something that I always want to be, at least in my marriage, and once I start having children, hopefully, you know, it just really, really stuck out in my mind that my dad was very firm, but my dad was very <laughs> loving, that my dad was always, you know, the leader of the household, that he was the decision maker, but, you know, my mom could, you know, also be a part of that decision, you know, I think that's something that I at least try to do, try to talk about everything, and I try to make the best decision that I feel like, you know, as far as the Lord's will. That's something from a leadership perspective that I always saw my dad do, so it's kind of along, along the same lines. You know, my, my dad was always very, very loving towards my mom and never, never saw them really fight, but I know that there were obviously disagreements. And so I think when your children see you know, discourse among mom and dad, it really affects them, I think. And so it, it affected us in a positive way, the way my mom and dad dealt with things. So I think that was, that was huge, at least for me personally. Yeah, so I think, I think one thing that has really made an impact on me in terms of, of how our dad parented us and, and particularly disciplined us was um, how he always used scripture and biblical principles. So in addition to us and how he disciplined us, it was always it always came back to using either a proverb and, and how, when he disciplined us, or even if when there were disagreements between us, you go to that person. It's not just sorry. Mm-hmm. It's no, you need to you need to seek their forgiveness for the sin of, mm-hmm. and, and using scripture and, and understanding that there's sin, and you need to seek forgiveness. So that was that was a has had a major impact on me and how I want to parent my children, and in terms of using biblical principles of. Of, of how to reconcile and seek forgiveness and understand that there's sin and you're sinning against somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and just how both of our parents utilized that and, and how, they, how they disciplined us growing up. 
and even just other things of, of respect and because we always were taught to say yes sir to mom and dad it's not yes it's not no it's it's always yes sir and, and really we that we had a rule that we couldn't even say no that was that was kind of a rule so it was always yes sir or yes ma'am and and it was it was big for for us and how we address them in just terms of discipline and respect and and that's something that has had an impact on me and how I'll parent my, ch- my, my children as well. Well, here's a good a follow-up question to the question that was asked. You ask about life and life lessons from a mom and a dad to their kids and how their kids can live under those you know, same lessons. But what about death? Obviously, Beth is with the Lord, and these kids are now old enough to have processed that. So the lessons you've learned in the life of your mom and dad, but what about the lessons you've learned in the death of your mother? Well, it definitely puts things in perspective. You can get easily caught up, you know, in this life and just doing the mundane things of every day, you know, day in, day out. It definitely, when something like that happens, the mundane falls away and you really have a different perspective on what's important in life, and that's where you are with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, you know, I, as I look back, it's still today, when I think about it, that's what I think about. And not only, you know, being thankful for her and for the way she raised us and for all the things that we remember her for, but, you know, that's the, the biggest thing that I think about for myself, for my family, um, for my two boys, and... Um, so for me, it's just about perspective. And then I'll just say something else about the leadership. My parents did a good job um, at raising us in taking the mundane things of life and using those as principles to teach us uh, certain character traits. So especially for me, being the oldest male, there was definitely an emphasis on leadership. You know, if I did something, it would be you are the oldest male, you need to be the leader, you need to lead your brothers, you need to lead your, lead your sisters. You know, when dad would be out of town speaking, it's you need to, you know, make sure your family's taken care of, take care of mom, you know, don't be the one, you know, being out of line. And then, you know, even, like I said, mundane things. So, you know, if you were going to a basketball game and you forgot your socks, be sure that there was a lecture from when you got in the car all the way to the <laughs> basketball game about responsibility, you know, forgetfulness, you know, another thing I can think of is what would happen, boys, every single Sunday night when we got home from church. That was the men's responsibility as the men of the house, and it was... Logue, why'd you leave your light on in your room? That, that too, that too. <laughs> yeah, we're not lighting up the whole neighborhood. Um, no, it was, it was the boys' responsibility to go around to every single one of the many, many trash cans and empty the trash and take the trash out for Monday morning. And you always hated to do it, and you might try to skirt around. Oh, Dad, I'm getting ready for bed. I'm getting ready for bed. I can't do that. No, it's the men's job to go take the trash out because that's what the men are supposed to do. So just different things like that, you know. Another thing just for me, and I'm, I'm talking a lot. You guys can feel free to jump in. But at some point, I didn't realize this at the time, uh, but when I was growing up, I was basically living in a dorm. And so when I got to college and was actually living at a dorm, um, I definitely acclimated better. And, um, you know, 
being considerate of others and of your siblings was definitely an emphasis. Um, so if you had a younger sibling that was taking a nap and you were being very noisy, you would be disciplined for that, whether actual discipline or being talked to about being considerate of others. And so it became stark when you were living in a dorm and there were those who were not considerate because, you know, to you it was a little surprising because that's not the way you grew up. That's not what you were taught. And so you can definitely tell, uh, you know, those who were taught that and those who weren't taught that. And so, you know, being considerate of others um, was definitely, you know, one, one of those other lessons. But it was just taking the mundane of, you know, you're a young kid, you're not paying attention, you're not understanding, you're being loud while your sibling is trying to take a nap next door, and let's take that opportunity to teach you, you need to be loving, you need to be kind, you need to be considerate. So just things like that, that even I sometimes try to take the opportunity with my five-year-old boy to, to remind him of those things as well. So, <laughs> And I would, I would say uh, for Dad's question about Mom, just in how she was, and my dad as well, there, uh, there was just so much respect between them, and but my parents were also very respectful toward us, and that was really heavily impactful for me. Um, even as a young, young child, you know, the very few times that my parents might have lost their patience or raised their voice with us, they would always come back to us and get down on our level and, and seek our forgiveness, and they continued that always. And um, I think an unintended consequence of being a, a pastor's kid and knowing that everyone knows who you are, like they've said, is for me is becoming a really good liar and um, probably lying to even people in this room or misrepresenting who I was maybe as a teenager um, and coming to church and being someone and, uh, you know, being around friends or whomever and being someone else. And, you know, my parents' parenting was very formative and very, um, it was very influential, but it wasn't determinative in my salvation. I had to, you know, be broken of my own sin, uh, kind of on my own, and you know, with my parents' teaching always in the back of my mind and my heart. And um, but with my mom, it was always, you know, respect of others and just constant forgiveness. You know, she just kept. My dad would say that they kept very short accounts with each other. You know, that every single day there was a respect for one another, no matter what had happened. There was a forgiveness, and there was just the ability to start over. And um, that's what she always wanted for us, was for us to, no matter what had happened, you know, to forgive one another and be able to just start over. And that's been huge for me in my life, be able to, you know, by God's grace, become saved. And then as an adult, be really close with my parents and be really close with my mom, my dad. I think a lot of us feel that way. And being able to have that close friendship relationship with them now is just huge. I think all of us in our life could point to a time in our adult life, especially where we've felt like we could come to our parents with just anything. And um, that now it's, you know, being able to shepherd us as adults and not as peers, but um, to just feel that, you know, that they are there for us no matter what. And that was, you know, my mom and I, our relationship. So when she was even in the process of passing away and being able to, um, you know, talk with her, my last real conversation with her, what do you say to your mom? You know, how do you thank her? And I just said, mom, thank you so much for, you know, just for always forgiving me. You just were always, you know, constantly forgiving me, constantly loving me, no matter what I did. And she just said, oh, sweetie, you've always been so lovable. <laughs> and, and she felt that way about everyone in her life. You know, everyone was deserving of just a second chance. Everyone, you know, everyone deserved grace. And she, um, yeah, was definitely a woman of respect of others, forgiveness of others, and just grace toward others. And that has, has been the biggest thing for me in my life. 
I think piggybacking off of what Lexa said about, you know, we were always, not always extremely close with our parents, especially during times of discipline and stuff. But now that we're older, looking back, you know, you, maybe an unbeliever would think, oh, well, won't discipline cause me to grow farther apart from my kids? Or won't, you know, being strict or hard on them in certain areas cause them, cause my kids to not want to be around me or anything? But I think it's been the opposite for us. I think growing up having that consistent discipline and kind of a routine and just knowing what to expect from them has caused even a greater fondness for them as we've gotten older and as we've kind of seen that with our own kids. And, you know, you may think, oh, well, if, if I discipline, if I'm consistent, if I do this, you know, they're not going to love me. They're going to rail against it. But I think growing up and, and now being older, looking back, that's been one of the greatest things we can look back on and say thank you. Thank you for being consistent. Thank you for being faithful to discipline even when I didn't want it. Because now that I'm older, I even have a closer relationship because I know how faithful and how hard it was for you to do that. And so I, you, you can look back and say, you know, thank you. It, it even made us closer. So, One of the things that has been sweet with all of them here, because not all of them live in the same place, was a time that we had uh, on Friday night together at my house. Obviously with the absence of their mother, my wife. And what Lexa said a moment ago is so very true that the older they become, the more I have even deeper cherished friendships with them. So you transition from just being dad to kids and you transition to really, though they wouldn't see it that way, I see it that way and that is they're my peers. Now I am older, they're in a different stage of life, they're having their kids, they're, they're sort of learning what all of that is like in real time and with, with definite examples from their own situation. And they can certainly ask me for advice or counsel, and they did with their mom before she went to be with the Lord. But one thing that's so very precious to me, like Friday night, was to have all 15 of us together and through our tears, me even asking them for advice and counsel. Even my marital status. Do I remarry? Do I remain unmarried? Those are, those are real-time questions, aren't they? And they gave me a lot of very, very good advice. But my ministerial status, you know, I'm in my 60s now. My 60s, I'll be in my 70s if the Lord gives me the opportunity and if I have sort of uh, active years of ministry. What's the Lord want me to do? So when you're asking your own kids that and they're giving you good advice, that, that's the best. That's really the best because they know you the best. I mean, you can talk to your friends and you should, maybe colleagues or others in the faith, and they're going to give you their perspective, but it's largely going to be strictly from their perspective and how they would do it if they were you. But that's a lot different than their kids who know you so deeply, so intimately, and that we're friends. We're dear friends of each other. Almost every time I hug all of them, and I, yes, I still kiss my daughters and my sons right on the lips. <laughs> and some of them don't really like that. <laughs> but I then play the card, I'm still your father. And, uh, and it's because I want them to know that while we had disciplining years, as they've all talked about, we also had a boatload of fun. 
So if you can try to keep the balance of disciplining your kids as they ought to be disciplined, or even your grandkids now, if you're in those grandchildren uh, ages where you're, as a grandparent, sort of helping but not parenting, but you're helping, you can still weave the fine balance in their lives of discipline and laughter. Because even the book of Proverbs, of course, says that laughter is a good medicine. And you know, if you know anything about me, I can be very serious and somber and sober in the pulpit when we're dealing with God's holy word and his righteousness and his holiness and how sin is very serious to the Lord. But you'll hear me probably at some point, uh, maybe not with the same equivalent balance, but to be able to have fun, laugh, tell jokes, um, be a kind of happy, joyful person because life is too fragile anyway Amen. to be so austere and serious-minded. I mean, even when we have our elder meetings, there's usually a joke or laughter about every 10 sentences <laughs> because we're talking about so many serious things, so people and ministries and issues and shepherding. And so we want to make sure that we're having a good time as well. And that's how you become a concretized, concretized, I call it, a concrete friendship. And that's what I have with, with these kids. Amen. Any other questions? Any other? Yeah. Yes, 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 sir, yes. Wait, 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 wait. There is a lady standing, and ladies go first. Um, obviously, you had a lot of group time, but did you find any individual time with your parents? That Were there things that you shared that the others didn't share with them, or what's the one-on-one -on -one that you guys have? Good question. I think for me, just really in the past two and a half years, um, ever since mom's diagnosis, you know, I have been at home um, with mom and dad. I've been blessed to be there um, because all my other siblings are married, and so I remember during mom's initial diagnosis at that time, initially, of course, we were, or I was, you know, confused and um, even angry and I remember um, we went home and I was I think talking out loud and I said something and dad was like Lisa we never are angry at God and um, I think the Lord really used that in my life to really just changed my heart in that moment and over the course of the last two years just seeing how my mom has responded to her cancer and seeing how my dad has responded has been such a huge example for me and so um, my dad and I have had some really, really sweet and precious times, um, not only being able to take care of mom together, but um, and since she's been gone, being able to just be together at the house and just talk together for hours and cry together. I literally tell my dad everything, um, and he tells, my, he tells me everything too. And so just being able to have that relationship with him now is just so precious to me. And, um, and so I was going to say, when Lauren was, was talking about just that strictness of discipline and, and things like that. There was that strictness, but of course there was also that relationship that we had with them that we knew it was all coming from a place of love and um, just them wanting to honor God in how they raised us. And so I know that, you know, you hear of a lot of, of pastors' kids that, you know, grow up in a very strict, rigid household, and then when they get older, when they finally get an ounce of freedom, you know, it's um, rebellion or, you know, other things like that, and I think by the grace of God, that didn't happen with any of us because there was that very good balance of strictness and, 
you know, um, just love and respect for us. And so um, I'm really thankful for that. And now being able to um, be with dad, it's just a sweet blessing because I'm able to, growing up, you know, I kind of looked at it as being a pastor's kid as something that was um, hard and something that was um, more of a thing to, you know, be um, nervous about if I was at church or, you know, anything like that. But now looking at it, it's like a real sweet blessing and I'm, I'm so thankful for it. And so, yeah, just being able to be with dad has been really, really sweet for me. So, And I would kind of piggyback off of what dad said, just kind of saying yes as much as you say no when you're, because that really impacts your your kids as they grow up and even as they get older. And so I think dad did a good job of kind of balancing out, like he was saying, the discipline with the fun, just, you know, there would be times on Sunday nights where, you know, we would, we would just be waiting to see if he would turn left to go into Wendy's and mom was like, no, there's food at home, you know, and just different things like that, that he made fun or he would always say, he would always go into the gas station and come out with a bunch of Reese's and Dr. Peppers for us. And he would say, you know, a father always gives good gifts to his children. And so I think, and you those know, are good gifts. <laughs> so I think just kind of balancing out, like he was saying, um, and kind of has been mentioned here, just the, the fun and the discipline too. So that it, like he was saying, it's not all seriousness, but also, you know, I think they did a good job of having, sort of like a good approachability um, to where you weren't, you know, scared to come with them with anything. Um, so I think that's really important too, because if they don't come to you, they'll go to someone else. So, Yeah, there was definitely, uh, you know, times after a long Sunday when you'd be driving home and you would not be looking forward to another frozen casserole. So <laughs> we, we, we would all be very appreciative when dad would, you know, take the left into Wendy's and, you know, you can imagine how many cheeseburgers we had to buy to feed that many people. <laughs> I was going to say, so what's so funny too, is making my kids laugh, not at the expense of their mother, but needling my wife in front of them because it showed them that we could do that with each other. And what we would do is we'd go into the Wendy's and when the, the person would ask for the order there at the, at the call window, uh, and my wife would try to be ordering for all the kids. Because dad try- couldn't do it, so mom had to do it, because she knew what we all wanted or we would... She would say, okay, Lexa, what do you want? Okay, Lucas, what do you want? And she would go down the line, and then she would either lean over him and relay it to the person or tell him, who would then tell the, the drive through lady. So there could be some, some comic relief, you know, because it was the telephone game. You know, yeah. did you want cheese? No, I didn't want cheese. And then the person would, you know, and then after about four orders, they, yes, are you done? No. Yes, are you done? No. They didn't realize there were 12 people in there that needed to eat. And then... I would start tickling my wife as she was ordering, you know, and she would just say, stop, I'm ordering. And I would just say, but stop, I'm tickling. And what kind of along lines of what Lisa said, I can definitely attest to the fact that there were very few times when it came to discipline that it was done in anger. Um, And there was always, for the most part, um, when we, at the house in Arkansas, my dad had an office on the first floor that had two sets of French doors that had white, almost see-through curtains, but not really see-through curtains on them. And so you knew when you were going to be disciplined when he said, step into my office. <laughs> and there was typically always a lecture, you know, 10 minutes, 30 minutes about why you were going to be disciplined. And so, you know, you were standing there just saying, get it over with, please, get it over with, please. But, you know, he wanted you to understand why, and he wanted to get to the heart of the issue. 
you know, he would ask questions like, now, son, why did you do that? And he would say, I don't know. And he would say, that's not an acceptable answer. Try again. <laughs> and so he, would, he was always trying to get to the heart of the issue, and I think that was really important as you're not just, you know, step out of line and you have a, a consequence that doesn't mean anything. You know, it was you need to understand that you're a sinner. And, you know, so eventually that became the answer, you know, because I have a sinful heart. Um, <laughs> and so then the discipline would come. But, you know, uh, it, there was very rarely just discipline and anger. And if there was, uh, it stuck out in your mind if it was. And it also stuck out because there was typically, you know, after they uh, realized that, they would come and seek you out and seek your forgiveness and say, you know, son, I need to seek your forgiveness for disciplining you in anger you know, that's not, that's not right. That's not biblical. And so please forgive me. And, you know, because those were more rare, I think they were more memorable. Um, and so that's what sticks out in my mind for sure. But yeah. as far as the, um, the one-on-one -on -one time, I think a lot of that happened organically, um, especially as we were younger, we had a pool in the backyard. So, um, you know, it, it would be hard. Uh, I think we had six kids at the time, like all under eight. So it'd be hard for, you know, to go on a trip just by yourself with dad, you know, and leave mom with all those kids. So, you know, a lot of that would happen organically, whether you were just in the house, you were doing an activity that your parent was taking you to, uh, or, you know, there may be just like two or three of you, you know, and you were out at the pool and dad was with you or mom was with you. So very rarely, I would say when we were really young, was it just one-on-one -on -one with mom and dad? But we never felt like, at least for me, we never felt like we were missing out on that one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and then as you got older, there was definitely some more one-on-one -on -one time, you know, as people were able to take care of each other and you had built-in babysitters and you were able to go do activities, you know, with a certain parent. Um, but I never felt like we were lacking one-on-one -on -one time. And even that's, that's something that uh, my wife and I talk about because she is only one of two. She just has a sister. And so there was a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. There was a lot of closeness. Um, and, you know, she would just say sometimes, you know, well, there were so many of you, you know, like how did your parents parent all of you and how did they, you know, have one-on-one -on -one time? I said, you know, I don't, it just happened organically. I don't feel like I missed out on that time. And so, um, you know, I think it depends on your family and your family size. Um, you know, I think you do need to be intentional about having one-on-one -on -one time, but, you know, in a family so large, a lot of that just happened organically. Huh. So. Let's let's do um, let's do one more thing. I know we've got more questions, but it's ten after ten, and uh, this probably won't happen again. So I don't think we're going to be able to do a part two because it would require all of them to you know be here. However, maybe in one or two sentences as we close, each one of them who either hasn't had the opportunity to speak or wanted to say something. Uh, here's your opportunity, and then I'll close this in prayer, and then we'll have a break, and then we'll have our 1030. And honestly, we haven't heard a lot from the, from the in-law kids, so certainly you guys have had a few experiences. I could just say something real quick, just a couple sentences. All of us came to Christ at, at different times. It didn't all just happen at, at once, and so I think something that was really, really defining for me was once I got out of the home I had to make my faith my own I couldn't just go off of what my parents believed or what they thought and there was a defining moment my freshman year when I was playing college basketball and I really had to figure out kind of who I was and I just couldn't go off of well this is what my dad says and this is what my mom says 
and I really kind of had to figure out why, why do I do that or why do I believe that? And so, at least for me, I had to make it my own. And it was difficult because when you grow up in a home like that, you're kind of just taught this is what we believe. And, and I kind of just started questioning why do I believe that? And where does it say that? Because we can all have the want to answer about, well, it says it because I learned it when I was in the fifth grade. And so I, I think we all have kind of different beliefs about different little things, but we all had to kind of make it our own. So that's what I would kind of say about at least myself. I had to figure out for myself because I wouldn't be able to get into heaven and just say, well, this is what my dad thinks, so let me in. So that was really defining for me. Lindsay, Devin? Yeah, I think we we all had our own, you know, big defining moments. There were even a, a couple. I, I probably had the, <laughs> the most um, talks with mom and dad just because I was just growing up just sneaky. And even times, you know, dad, you giving my cell phone to Lucas, getting it <laughs> taken away for a long time. But we each had our own, you know, big moment. And no matter how many times we messed up, you were continually faithful in sitting down with us and talking with us no matter how long it took and it took you know a big moment in my life I wanted to go play college basketball and I ended up tearing my everything in my knee and that ended my career and I think that's what brought me to my knees just realizing I was just living for myself living for the sport and not for Christ so yeah I can just as an in-law I can uh, attest to the principles that have been spoken about up here and just say that every, everything is, is right on and it's, it's evident. And as an in-law, being able to be involved in a family like this is just a blessing. And I grew up in a Christian family, and so I grew up with a lot of similar same principles, but being able to be married into a large family like this that you know, we're fortunately able to spend a lot of time together, be in the same church together, be under father-in-law as the pastor. It's just a blessing to be able to have that immediate family that is able to hold me accountable. And a lot of the kids spoke about just the natural accountability of growing up as a, in a pastor's family, marrying into a pastor's family as an adult also has that same accountability. Um, naturally. And so being able to, you know, constantly have someone that can share advice on parenting, share advice on how to be a, a godly husband and different principles about every aspect of life. And it's just a, a blessing to be a part of it. And so, yeah, I can just attest to these principles that have been brought up through these kids from the time they were born have just been so evident and by no means are we a perfect family and you know like Lance said we've we've had a lot of each each and every one of us has had a lot of sin that we've dealt with and by God's grace um, have been able to be forgiven and come through that but everything always goes back to the scripture and every every situation that comes up with our family there's always scripture that is, uh, is rooted on how to proceed with whatever that circumstance may be, so. Shane? So what Devin said, um, you know, I, th I think probably one of the hardest things that we've gone through as a married couple is how to raise and discipline our children. And I was raised in a, 
a good home. My parents were faithful. Lauren's parents were faithful. But then you actually have to do it yourself with your own kids. That's really hard. And so, I mean, numerous times, Lauren and I are like, I don't know what to do anymore. Let's go talk to your parents. And we'd go over there. We'd get counsel. And one of my greatest joys being part of this family, and I jokingly call us the brother's outlaw, since sometimes, you know, anyway. Um, but uh, is, that, is that we all have the same basic general philosophy of raising kids because we were raised well. And so we're, you know, we're, Devin and I are comparing notes, you know, talking to Lancer. How, how are you doing with this? I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? No, let's, let's go talk to dad about it. So it's been a lot of fun to do that together. And when all the families are together, which is a bit of a zoo, as you guys can probably attest to, um, it's just so much fun that, that I know, you know, if something's going on with, with my kids, not that my kids would ever sin or anything, but if, 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 my, if my kids were doing something, uh, you know, sinful, then I know that, you know, Devin would be able to instruct them, or Lancer, or Lucas, or I, I've got backup, you know what I mean? Like, we're all in this together. It's just a, a great joy to me. Sam? As I'm just kind of like sitting here listening to everyone and what they're saying about, you know, Lance and Beth, I can just say that everything that was said on this stage is truly lived out like in their lives. And it's just such a special thing to be a part of, such a special thing to have like such a close relationship with your in-laws. So it's just been, you know, such a blessing to be, you know, part of this family. I come from, I literally only have one sibling. So to enter into this big family has been so fun and yeah just such a blessing so anybody else I would say the strongest thing that I've seen modeled in this family is Lance's biblical leadership of the family and I had the blessing to grow up in a home where there was biblical leadership as well but to see how Lance has led such a a large family that is on public display and has been through so many trials, just to see that every decision comes back to what does scripture say and how do we approach this from a biblical perspective. I don't know how you could lead a family any other way through everything that he has and and lead a church through everything that he has um, apart from scripture. And so I think that's the the biggest thing that I've seen modeled. So thank you. You're welcome. I just wanted to say one thing as well, just to address all of you. I just wanted to say thank you all so much for just the love and encouragement and prayers um, you guys have bestowed on our family the past two years, especially. Um, we, were, we were just talking on Friday night, and Dad was just saying how much you guys all love and care for us so much. And although you may not know the older ones as much, it's been just such a blessing for us to be able to um, just hear your um, encouragement and um, your prayers, especially the sweet ladies of the women's ministry. And so I know that my mom loved you all so very much, and she would talk to us about you all so much. And um, she would, her heart was you guys in the church, and of course us as well, but um, she, just seeing her heart for you all um, has been able to help shape my heart for you as well. So thank you all so much, and our family loves this church a lot. So thank you. Amen. Well, you know, thank you. really what we're talking about, and we all know it. We all know how wretched we are in our hearts, that everything that happens that is good is by grace. It's all of grace. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for the precious opportunity for a local church to talk about families and 
to talk about parenting and discipline and, and fun and the kind of display for the acknowledgement of our sin and that we blow it a thousand times, 10,000 times as parents, but we know that your grace is sufficient to pick us up off of the floor and to dust us off and to put us in the battle again. Lord, I know that there are even some parents of children, whether they're small children or adult children, and particularly adult children who might have not, when they had the opportunity to make their own choices, be at church. And perhaps there are those in our congregation who are crying inside because their children are prodigals and that they're hurting and that the parents are grieving and it seems as though sometimes our prayers are hitting the ceiling and going no further where we're praying for the salvation of our lost children or even grandparents who are praying for the salvation of their grandkids that they love and they want their grandkids to come to know the Lord and to serve the Lord. And Lord, uh, amidst all of the joys and all of the success stories are also stories of great pain and agony. And we, we thank you that the local church comes together to show us and to bind us together so that we can pray for one another and encourage one another and speak to one another about the joys and the sorrows. Lord, if we didn't have each other, what would we honestly have? We would be a wreck, and we know that. And we thank you for the grace that you've given us. Lord, give us now 10 or 15 minutes so that we can fellowship with one another and then come back and hear of the exciting things that is in store for Bethany Bible Church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.